Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 Kings chapter 17 from the World English Bible. Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Then Yahweh's word came to him, saying, Go away from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, that is, before the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to Yahweh's word, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is, before the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. After a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Yahweh's word came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to sustain you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, As Yahweh your God lives, I don't have a cake, but a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jar. Behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and bake it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid, go and do as you have said, but make me a little cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterward make some for you and for your son. For Yahweh the God of Israel says, The jar of meal will not run out, and the jar of oil will not fail, until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the earth. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house ate many days. The jar of meal didn't run out, and the jar of oil didn't fail, according to Yahweh's word, which he spoke by Elijah. After these things, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick, and his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, you man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to memory and to kill my son. He said to her, Give me your son. He took him out of her bosom and carried him up into the room where he stayed and laid him on his own bed. He cried to Yahweh and said, Yahweh my God, have you also brought evil on the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? He stretched himself on the child three times and cried to Yahweh and said, Yahweh my God, please let this child's soul come into him again. Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the room into the house and delivered him to his mother, and Elijah said, Behold, your son lives. 
the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that Yahweh's word in your mouth is true. That is the end of chapter 17. Elijah seems to come out of nowhere with no particular pedigree, and he comes out of the chute with prophecies blazing. The text does tell us that he comes from Gilead. Gilead is first mentioned in Genesis 31, verse 21, where Jacob fled from Laban, and also in Genesis 37, 23, that is where the Ishmaelites were coming from when Joseph's brothers decided to sell him. It is not just a place name, because in Numbers 26, 29, it talks about one of Joseph's great-grandsons being named Gilead. But then in Numbers 32, 1, that the, the land of Gilead is what, the land that the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh saw and wanted to live there before they crossed over the Jordan. In 2 Samuel 17, 26, where it talks about the older gentleman named Barzillai who helped King David when he was fleeing from Absalom, this man was a Gileadite. Gilead is mentioned poetically in the Psalms, such as Psalm 60 and 108, and also in the Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1. And it is mentioned several times throughout the prophetic books. Jeremiah 8.22 is an example, but if you do a word search, you will find it used throughout many of the other books by the prophets. In David Gusick's commentary, he says that Baal was considered a sky god, so Elijah's prayer for a drought is a direct challenge against Baal's supposed power. He doesn't say that God told him to pray for rain, which is interesting, especially in light of what we read in James chapter 5, where it talks about him praying earnestly that it wouldn't rain. So though Yahweh's power is clearly claimed, being the God who lives, the source of all power, it seems like the request was Elijah's idea. The account portrays Elijah as talking directly to Ahab but there's no record of Elijah saying anything to placate Ahab to honor him as king, but he declares that he stands before Yahweh. Yahweh makes special provision for Elijah's care, and there's no mention of Elijah asking for it. It is, however, dependent on Elijah following directions. He had to go where he was told. And then we have the introduction of the widow of Zarephath. She doesn't get a name because that's not the important part of the story, which we will hear of later because Jesus refers to this account in Luke chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, as an example of faithfulness outside of Israel. He is using this example right after he has read from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth in Galilee and claimed to be fulfilling it, but the people there wouldn't accept him. And it's not just that they wouldn't listen to him or wrote him off, so to speak. They tried to throw him off a cliff. They were so angry at him. Reading about Elijah's prayers reminds me of the biography of George Mueller that I read to my children when they were young. I can't find my copy right now to know exactly which um, edition I had. It's probably still in a box somewhere. But I will link to his autobiography on Amazon. This book greatly inspired and encouraged me, and it is similar to Elijah in his biblically grounded prayer of faith. This is not the power of positive thinking or prosperity gospel. This was just real absolute trust. Getting back to the widow, 
There is no account given of her hearing from God, but she was obviously receptive to Elijah, even as she explained her lack of resources. And she didn't refuse him the bread, but basically said, you would be taking our last meal, after which we expect to starve. But importantly, she prefaces that with a statement about Yahweh, your God who lives. It's pretty amazing that she, in her desperate poverty, believes that Elijah speaks for God enough to heed his directions. Keep in mind that he's not ordering her about. He is explaining how she can act in faith. And you might think she had nothing to lose, but maybe you've never been that hungry. I think it was a supreme act of faith to offer him what appeared to be her and her son's last meal. Verse 15 refers to her house, which to me seems to suggest there may have been more than her son at the house at some point. I can definitely see inviting a few loved ones, friends or family, over to live with you to share your unending supply of meal and oil during a famine. And it also makes me think of sharing the gospel, the source of everlasting life, a never-ending supply of Jesus's life and spirit. In verse 18, when her son is ill, it reminds the widow of her sinful state. This is the correct response to death, to let it remind us of why death is in the world, which makes it noteworthy that Elijah stretched himself on the child three times. I don't believe that any detail in the Bible is incidental, and so there's good reason this reminds me of Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days and then Christ in the tomb for three days. Regarding Elijah stretching himself on the child, first, I don't think this necessarily means he laid his full body on top, but I get a picture of him falling prostrate in prayer across the boy's body, possibly beginning by kneeling to one side. The boy was apparently small enough for Elijah to carry him upstairs to his room, where he could pray intensely while the other household activities went on below, and he just would have squished him if he laid on top of him. Elijah is not at all shy or hesitant to ask to pray for this child to come alive again, and Yahweh again listened. Note that the soul came back. The soul did not cease to exist when the body died. And then note that now the woman had a deeper, firmer understanding of Yahweh and Elijah's representation of him. This doesn't mean that she didn't have faith before. Take, for instance, Job. Job had plenty of faith and was in right standing with God, but by the time he got to the end of his experience, he had a much deeper, firmer understanding of who God was. There are not a lot of people brought back from the dead in the biblical account. Like the other times that it happens, resurrection is a powerful proof of God, and that is how the widow responds, and that is how we should respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 